The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine. Happy Monday, everybody. I'm going to be joined in just a few minutes by special guest, Nita Whitaker LaFontaine. If that name sounds familiar, she is the wife of Don LaFontaine, very, very well-known voiceover artist who passed away several years ago. Big loss in the voiceover industry. And Nita is a singer. She's an actress. And she just came out with a wonderful book called Finding My Voice. So she's going to join us in just a little bit. I want to tell you a little bit about her. Uh, she has an incredible background uh, in singing. And she is trained with the essences of soul, sprinkled with pop, jazz, and gospel. And she has been singing for years and years. She's done stage work, small screen, big screen. And it's really going to be very exciting having her on the show. If you want to email questions in, you can send them to Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, at KUCI.org. That's J-A-N-E-A-N-E at KUCI.org. And we're going to sample a little bit of her music. She's performed with some incredible people. She's uh, been on the stage with Barbara Streisand, Josh Groban, Mike Bublé, Bublé, excuse me, (laughs) Chris Bodie, and uh, David Foster is one of her mentors. She's performed and shared the stage with countless celebrities, including Barbara Streisand, Faith Hill, Celine Dion, Richard Mark, Stevie Wonder, and so many others. So she's going to join us in just a little bit. We're going to listen to one of her songs. Uh, this is Use Your Life by Nita Whittaker, La Fontaine. Got a little something I want you to think about. Did you get it? Did you get it? Listen. Hey, where you going? Do you like what life is showing when you look into the mirror what you see? And do you count or do you measure success by your treasures? Is your spirit up for sale or free? And is it all you've done living in your comfort zone? Every day the same. When you wake each day, do you take the time to pray or play the same old game? Use your life today to make the world a better place. Use your life right now to put a smile on someone's face. Ooh, how was that to open up your Monday morning? That was Nita Whittaker LaFontaine. She's going to be on just a little bit. If you're just tuning in, this is the mom. This is the moms. See, I'm confusing my two shows. She was on my other show, Moms Rock the House. This is Get the Funk Out, and Nita Whittaker LaFontaine is here to join us. She's a singer, and she's also wife of the voiceover king, Don LaFontaine. We're going to talk about her new book, Finding My Voice, My Journey Through Grace, th- Through Grief to Grace, Living with the Loss of Don LaFontaine. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, Nita Whittaker. Hi, Nita. Hi, Janine. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for calling in. My pleasure. What a voice you have. Oh, thank you. I just had somebody come in here. Wow, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> who is that woman? Oh, that's nice to hear. Thank oh. you. How long have you been singing? 
Um, pretty much out of the womb, I think. Uh, I think uh, I did my first solo, as my father recalls, when I was around three. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, even before I could even um, really knew the words, I was singing. Amazing. Any singing lessons or just innate? Uh, a combination. I didn't really have singing lessons until I got to college. Okay. I did have one one thing around eighth grade. There was a teacher in our neighborhood who did a few singing lessons, but I think it was just maybe a couple lessons. So basically it was a natural talent. And when I got to college, mm-hmm. um, I joined a voice class, meaning it was a group of us uh, with a the teacher there at the uh, University of Louisiana in Monroe, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And uh, this wonderful teacher, Mr. Lewis Neighbors, who is a friend to this day, oh. he came to me, pulled me aside. He said, I don't want to ruin your natural voice, but I want to work with you. Oh. And so we began, and he insisted that I learn classically. So that's what he taught me. Mm-hmm. So I studied with him for the three and a half years I was in school, got my degree. I continued to study with him. Um, he took me, and I won a couple of competitions singing legit, and I thought, this is not what I want to do, but it was fun. Sure. And really, it was a great foundation because that uh, has helped me to maintain a, a healthy sound uh, throughout my career, And uh, but he was my first real teacher. That's fantastic. I like the advice you gave me because I was telling you, we talked uh, previously, that I'm not a singer. I've never had the confidence, and I've actually started to look into some lessons at uh, community college with a group. I think that's a great idea. It's a great idea. It was a great beginning. I still remember those songs. <laughs> oh, you do? But it's because then you don't feel so intimidated or like you have to, you know, be perfect. You're with right. a group who is also learning. Yes, yes. Yeah, and you can find your voice within that. You're not out there just in the spotlight, you know. Yes. Okay, not, not sing. Yeah, right. not just yet. So it was a great way to begin. That's fantastic. That's great advice. Tell me, how did you meet Don LaFontaine? Uh, I met Don, my sweet boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was new to Los Angeles. I had rolled into town um, with this dream. I packed my bag. My father sent me off, tearfully so. I'm the baby girl, and he mm-hmm. was like, not really, you know, he would tell me things. He pulled me aside. I think I talk about it in my book. And he would say, now listen. You go to a party and you put your drink down. You get another one. Don't you pick it up? And, That's right. And and he would say things like, you know, just beware of people and don't go by yourself at night. Let somebody know where you are. All the things that I regurgitate to my children now. It's so terrible. smart. <laughs> Great advice. Yeah. So he, um, I moved out here and I had done a show that same year, um, 86. I had done a show called Miss Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at a rap party, I had met a new gentleman, a new young man, uh, who became a really quick friend. We had a Southern connection. He was from Mississippi. Uh, as we chatted, we found out we had the similarities. We knew the same sort of gospel songs because we had grown up in the same kind of church environment. Nice. And um, his name was Tony Warren. He was a fantastic singer. He is no longer with us. Oh. Um, he died very young. He died of AIDS, about 36 years old. And mm. it just broke our hearts. But he was one of the most gifted singers. His range was like a five-octave range. He could sing anywhere. But we just connected, and he said to me, if you, ever, if you come back to L.A., mm-hmm. call me, and, you know, we'll hang out. Nice. And um, I said, great. So when I moved to town, I had cousins, and I had a very close cousin, Tyrone White, that I was very close to. And so I had, you know, family here, but I, I called my cousin Tyrone, 
And then I also called Tony Warren. And Tony was more involved in the singing than my cousin was. So I called uh, Tony up when I got in. And within a few days, he took me over to this club uh, called the Rose Tattoo that was off of um, Santa Monica Boulevard. It's a part of, of West Hollywood that we call Gay Town. Right. And it was a gay bar during the week. And on Sunday nights, it was a club where uh, people could sing. And they had a trio, and you get up and do this singing. So they had a competition going on that Tony had been a part of. He asked permission for me to get on based on my pageant credentials. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I got on the show. Uh, it was a competition. They had a semi-quarter, semifinals, and a finals. And the finalist won. And Don was videotaping and was friends with the owner of the club. Mm-hmm. So he would be there every Sunday night. And I, uh, but then two weeks of being here, I was on stage singing. Look at that. Yeah, and Don was in the audience. Now, that was the first time we met. No sparks, no no fireworks. It was just, oh, mm-hmm. hi. He commented after I sang how much he enjoyed my voice, and I said, thank you. And he's putting this. It just kind of rumbled out of him, right? I was like, woo. <laughs> but still no sparks. I just thought, right. and my friend mentioned, my friend Tony said, honey, he's the most generous man I've ever met. Oh. Don't ask him for you. Don't tell him you like his jacket because he'll give it to you. And I oh. thought, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> So I thought that was just a throwaway. I didn't really know that's really who this guy was. Sure. So uh, fast forward, I, I won the competition. Don was videotaping, and he would always come and sit by me. And then later I became a judge for that same competition that was ongoing. And after, I guess, three or four months, no, a couple of months, he mm-hmm. said, you guys all come back to my house. He invited a group of us, and we go to his house. He had a singing machine before it was called karaoke. <laughs> so we go back to his house. He had a very hot bachelor pad. I'm telling you, he looked like the playboy straight out of Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, right. the shirt unbuttoned, the medallion, the blow-dried hair, oh. the mustache. He looked like Burt Reynolds. <laughs> He was just, but he was the kindest man. He never was inappropriate. He'd get whatever you want. Gentlemen. Generous, have us in this house, 12 of us or something. We'd sing and tell jokes and yes. in his living room with an open, round fireplace. And, and then we'd go home. Nice. And uh, finally, after about a couple of months of that, he asked me about going. He said, let me take you to dinner. Mm-hmm. And I thought, he's always making jokes. He was always so funny and so quick-whipped, you know. <laughs> And I said, oh, Don, you are so funny. You don't want to take me out? Stop it. <laughs> and he was like, no, really, no strings attached. I'll be a perfect one. just want to take you out to dinner. Nice. Because I sang a song, and he said, who would you sing that song about? And I said, oh, no one. He said, so you're not dating anyone? I said, no. I'd just gotten out of a horrible relationship. <laughs> and uh, so it was, a, it was right before Christmas, and mm-hmm. I said to him, um, well, I'm, I'm going home, and I'll, I'll, let, me, let, let me call you when I get back. Mm-hmm. So I went home for Christmas, and I talked to my sister Kathy, and, uh, and I came back, and I called him up, and I said, okay, let's go out. And we met at a place close to his house. Our first date was at Yamashiro's, overlooking at a place that overlooks the city. Nice. And uh, we just laughed the whole night. We laughed, and I thought, well, well he'll be fun to go out with. He'll, mm-hmm. you know, see a movie or something with, but I wasn't getting involved. I was focused on career, and... Sure. I had my job at Brotman Medical Center working in a medical intensive care unit. And mm-hmm. I, wasn't, um, I wasn't interested. And um, then we had a second date, and we just laughed through that. And I thought, oh, he's really fun, but I still didn't think of us as a couple. And, sure. But he, he, he started to pursue me at that point. And mm-hmm. It was very romantic. He, you know, th- then I got a job with Ben Breen, and I was gone. I was my first uh, professional job in L.A., and I was on tour, and... I'd be gone a couple of weeks and back a few days, and you know, in and out. 
And we started to chat on the phone most days. He had a cell phone, which was a novelty at that point, because they were like $700. Right. <laughs> and he had one, you know, because this is a boy who loved his toys. My husband was a gadget man. Was like he really? I cannot believe. So if there was a new something, he had to be the first one to have it. <laughs> he was a Virgo boy, and I love that about it, but crack me up. <laughs> so uh, we began, and uh, by April of that year, we were, I, I'd fallen in love with him, and he'd oh, fallen in love with me. That's wonderful. It was just, it was just a love story of, of um, a beautiful kind, very romantic, handled mm. chocolates and dinners and long talks. And, um, and notes. You told me he used to write you beautiful notes. Oh, my gosh. He would leave poems on my, on my voicemail. Oh. Um, he would write me these beautiful things. and He spoke quite poetically because he loved to read and he loved poetry. Poetry could make him weep. He, just, mm. he was so in touch with words and um, he was never without a book. So that's how we began. That's wonderful. You know, when you take your time and you get to know somebody. It's so important. It's so, so important. important. Some people, you know, meet a month later, they're married, and that worked out for them good. But I, we needed that time. Sure. We needed that time. Sure. No, it grew. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah, story. Yeah, there's a wonderful poem that says, Love is Friendship Caught Fire. Oh, I and love that. That's kind of what we were. We, we became friends and... And I, I needed to know that he could be honest and that kind of thing, and that mm-hmm. he, I had to really get to know that he wasn't this facade that he, yes, that he and he wasn't. He was like the truest, gentlest, uh, loving man I'd ever met, and uh, he captured my heart, and beautiful. I captured his, and there we were. Mm. A year and nine months later, we were married. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. What are, what's something that people would be surprised to know about Don? That he was a good cook. Really? He was a really good cook when he when he wanted to cook. He didn't cook that often because his schedule was often very busy. Mm-hmm. But he, he really enjoyed cooking. Uh, he would love to cook these fabulous. He would find a recipe and all the way down to uh, dessert. Like he would do a pear with chocolate sauce. Mm. Where he'd have to peel it and bake it. And But he would do, when he would do a meal, it would be extraordinary. Look at that. Extraordinary. Um, his favorite, he loved, he was a meat and potatoes man, so he loved a great turkey. Mm-hmm. It, he knew how to cook it just right. With He had the best mashed potatoes I have not been able to replicate. <laughs> You're making me hungry. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he could make that whole feast, and that was his favorite thing to do. But sometimes he'd find something unusual and whip it up for us, and I'm cooking dinner tonight, honey. And I was like, okay. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, he loved that. And, um, well, I'm thinking about it. We'd be surprised to know he's a gadget man, but, I mean, really, I, we have stuff here. I don't even know how to operate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that funny? Oh gosh, he just loved it. He just—he was really the boy with the toys. He just, oh, and he had so much fun with it. And for him, the thing with Don was that none of it mattered. It was the fun with getting it, mm-hmm. and then he'd give it away. Oh, funny! <laughs> because he just—it was the fun with getting it. And after, like a like a boy, you play this while yes. you're you're bored with it, and yes. you're on to the next thing. So things that even cars, they had no merit for him. It wasn't like he was attached to a car. He had a really nice car. He's like, up oh, over it, next car. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of his favorite cars? Oh, uh, let's see. He had a, a BMW 840i they don't make mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. He had the, one, of the, one of the first two Lexus hardtop convertibles that was made. Gorgeous. He had an Infinity that he had tricked out to the max. Infinity, he gave that to my dad. He had a Corvette with fire, mm. flames racing down the side that he had a custom paint on. <laughs> cool. When I met him, he had a candy apple red and gray Jaguar. Oof. I mean, he just loved, and he loved cars. He loved, He always had a, some little fancy schmancy thing. Mm-hmm. He had a, a Mercedes 
uh, what is it, 500 CLS or something mm-hmm. like that, with a red interior. It couldn't just be a regular car. Yeah. It had to be. He had to trick uh, it out in some yeah, way. Yeah. yeah, when he had the red Lexus, there were some other red ones, but his had to have a white interior. Oh, nice. And then, of course, he had two limos. We've had uh, two limos because that would help him with his work. We initially, not when we first got married, but about a year into our marriage, he got a limo because his workload got so crazy that he couldn't find parks and all that. So he bought a limo, bought a couple. We had a black one, and he bought this of course, tricked out one that was white and gray. Yes. He just loved that. That was one of the ways he had fun. You know, I talked to, I mentioned to you, I had Melissa Disney on my show. Oh, yes. And Molly Mahar, yes. uh, who produced the film Unseen. And Melissa was mentioning how she met Don, and he was like, you want to go for a ride in my limo? And she's like, who is this guy? <laughs> who is this creepy guy? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> and she went and spent the day with him. She said, he was the nicest man, and he really introduced me to people. And what a day he would have. He'd have so many auditions and jobs and go here to there, and he was the busiest man in voiceover. He really was. He really was. Screen Actors Guild has said he is the, uh, the most working actor in their history. No one has signed more contracts. Whew. Look at that. And that's because, you know, every time you do a gig, it's, it's a contract. So between the movies and the TV spots and tags, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. They say, I don't know who counted, but somewhere around 750,000 TV spots. Whoa. Not including the 5,000-plus movies. Oh, my gosh, Nina. Yeah, yeah. So he, I, I'm, I'm pushing this year. He was denied. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't get approval for a star before he passed away. I was working on that. Oh. And but I'm we're I'm going to make that happen. Oh, it's so I have to make that happen. Well deserved. I mean, yeah. come on. His body of work deserves it. And sometimes yes. you want you know, and you know, stars are are bought, right? They just don't go. Oh, he should have one. You pay okay. for them. You pay for them. Okay. You pay for them. Okay. So, but even so, they only select ten per year. But um, uh, the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. I don't know what the tap dance is. You have to do, but I'm willing to do it. I've got my shoes ready. You are ready. I'm he, ready. Yeah, he deserves it. He deserves that big tribute. Now. Um, when I spoke to Melissa, you were doing an event uh, yes. in a world of books? Uh, well, the, the event was called Voices and the Voice, Remembering Don LaFontaine. All right. Uh, it was an evening to to accomplish two things, to celebrate the legacy of his work and to remember his voice and the gifts that he put into the, the business, the motion picture industry. Beautiful. The second part of that was to, I've created a new nonprofit called In a World with Books, mm-hmm. because In a World was a phrase that Don wrote, and subsequently has been, it has been announced in countless movies by so many people, mm-hmm. but he actually wrote that phrase, and he was a writer back in New York, oh. working for Floyd Peterson. And um, I wanted to start something that would enlarge his, his, generosity, mm-hmm. and would also speak to his tremendous love of reading in books. Uh, it was his favorite thing. It really was his favorite thing. I, fantastic. He would read in excess of two or three hundred books a year. That's he, phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And he, he was the, one of the most intelligent people you would ever meet because he was so well-read. Mm-hmm. Um, he could read anything. He didn't like self-help books. That was the only thing. I'm always reading, you know, how to evolve, how to give up. <laughs> he was like, yeah, honey, that's your thing. But anything, I mean, I have a, I'm sitting here in my library with, I don't know, at least 500 books. Look at that. And we have given away triple that. <sighs> we saved, I mean, he would come home from the bookstore. Anyway, so the Inner World with Books I created in honor of him and my mom, who was a librarian, mm-hmm. who would take books uh, house to house 
in the rural area of my city because they didn't have a library. And at that time, schools didn't have a library. And he was, she was a bookmobile librarian. Oh. And so she would have the driver take the bookmobile out, and she would go book, knock on doors. I'll be back. And, and she knew the kids' ages, uh, the ages of the children, and she would give them books. And say, I'll be back next Tuesday. Oh, that's fantastic. And she, the idea is to make sure kids could have books in their home because you can reread and reread and escape. And, and my husband did that when he was a child. He was one of those kids who a book was his was his world. It was his escape. It was mm-hmm. his it was his friend. He was never without one. Look and um, so, what we want to do is, and we are a new uh, nonprofit, and I I emphasize that. All right. We want to partner with other agencies that are already in place. For example, Screen Actors Guild has a a program called Book Readers, and they go to um, schools, public schools, and they have readers that read to kids in schools. Now, I would like to take a few of those classrooms and give them the books so that kids can take them home and, re- and reread them and reread them. Because once is never enough for a child, I know. My That's children, right. Mommy, read it one more time. Yes. Could you read it again if mm. they fall asleep? So that's how we want to begin, but then also finding shelters and uh, domestic homes and partnering with other, other I found another um, company, another nonprofit called Reading is Fun, where they're promoting reading, and we have books, so we can partner with them, and, and I also want to start a mentorship program where we teach kids how to read to other kids, because nice. I think it's important to empower children, not just to, you know, what is the thing, if you give a guy a fish, you can feed him, but if you give him a pole and teach him how to fish, you can eat a longer time, That's right. you want to teach them, and then it makes them little heroes in their area, in their schools, and empowers them and gives them some volunteer hours if they're working toward you know, schools, they're thinking about that in, in elementary school. Mm-hmm. But um, so we just want to be a part of creating um, a nation of readers. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. really is. Now, are you ever looking down the road, do you think you'll be looking for people to help read to these kids? Well, at this point, Screen Actors Guild already has. Mm-hmm. The, um, they're set up to do so. Oh, and good. I'm probably just going to branch off of them. Yes. But initially, we're going to start with them. We're not, we're not there yet have our own readers, but eventually we will. Oh, good. Eventually good. we will. We're just not set up. We're not big enough yet to do that. But yeah. I would like to go into shelters. I think that's great. And, yeah, I think that's, I want to go off the radar. Because, you know, a book can be your buddy. You get excited. Oh. You want to sit down. It's your escape. Absolutely. Yeah. And can show you worlds that you will maybe never get to. Right. can take you on trips and journeys and it can give the kid endless possibilities and kind of spark all kinds of dreams. That's right. And so, so often all the information that kids get is right on TV and from these, these screens that, you know, really speed up the neurons in our brains. And that's fine. Everybody is, you know, we have all these devices and all of that. But there's a something about when you look at a book or a page. And it's becoming a lost art more and more in our society as we get more digital. Too much technology. Too much technology. It really is. And it, it has its place. But I think there's something about the quiet of reading a book that's mm-hmm. so needed in this fast-paced life that we all live. That's right. Mm-hmm. Nita, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back and talk about your book, Finding My Voice. And uh, we'll talk about all kinds of great things. I also want to talk about the Don LaFontaine voiceover lab I had a chance to go to. Yes. I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild, as I mentioned to you, and what a facility. Oh, it's beautiful. Amazing. Yeah. So you're listening to Get the Funk Out. We're talking to Nita Whittaker LaFontaine. We'll be back in just a little bit. Hang tight, Nita. Okay. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.
You're listening to K C I 88.9 FM Irvine 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 Friend us on Facebook at KUCI FM and Twitter at KUCI FM KUCI Talk, Music, and More Close your eyes for a moment Now imagine you're away from it all. Beside a crystal clear mountain stream, the cool grass crunches underfoot. Take a deep breath and drink in the sound of water cascading over the stones as birds call out from above. A real paradise like this isn't easy to come by, but it does still exist. And with your help, places like this one can last forever. You see, the Nature Conservancy works locally with communities, businesses, and people like you to preserve the most precious natural places around the world. They protect the animals that live there, the plants that grow there, and even the water. That way, this beautiful place will be beautiful forever. And we'll make sure that closing your eyes will never be the only way to get there. I'm Paul Newman. Help the Nature Conservancy save the last great places. Visit the Nature Conservancy at nature.org. That's nature.org. Packers. Vikings. Red State. Blue State. We come from different places. Uptown. Downtown. We come to different conclusions. Half empty. Half full. But no matter how different we are, we're all connected, and we can all make a difference. That's why United Way brings people, expertise, and resources together to improve the education, income, and health of our communities, the building blocks for a better life. When we live united, our efforts, magnified by others, add up to real change. Children succeed in school, families gain financial stability, the health of our neighbors improves, and suddenly, so do our communities. But real change won't happen without you. Live Live united. United. So let's look beyond our differences. Live Live united. United. One by one, let's make a difference. Let's reach out a hand to one and influence the condition of all. (laughs) Live Live United. United. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Sign up today at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Hi, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, and I'm your host, Janine, and this is the Get the Funk Out Show, and we're joined with Anita Whittaker-Lafontaine. Hi, Anita. Hi. So before the break, we're going to talk about your book. Yay. Very exciting. I am excited about it. Tell me about it. Well, I I started um, really with no intention of of writing a book that's not something that was on my radar at all. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed reading and not nearly as much as my husband. I'd given him volumes of blank pages to fill. And then, Danny, write a book. Because mm-hmm. because he read so often, I thought he'd want to write one. But he, he just enjoyed the reading of it. Uh, but it was about a year after he passed. And uh, I was looking for something to fill my my heart and, sure. and to fill a void of creativity because I, I really kind of shut down for a while and wanted to be available for my children. And um, then my daughter went off, my elder daughter went off to school, to college. Mm-hmm. And it was just Lisi and my youngest daughter and myself at home. And I had a lot of time that I'd never had before. You know, my life was very full with a family of four. And now we were, we were a family of three. And then sure. just the two of us when Sky went away. So a girlfriend who was just a lovely person in my circle, Orly, sent me an email about it, this 
friend that she knew that had a writing class in my area, and it was called Writing to Heal. And I thought, well, that sounds just about what I need to Perfect, do. Perfect, yes. Yeah, and the timing of it was right because we had just gone, gone, you know, we were just in such, there was so much busy right after that I really hadn't flown down to feel, you know, the loss. And I was still in terrific grief. And I walked to this class, and the teacher knew nothing about my loss. I just told her that I uh, was a single mom, and mm-hmm. I would be coming from taking my daughter to dance class, and I, she didn't get out until 8, so I'd be there about 8.10. She said, that's fine, just come when you could. And I walked to the class. It was in a house, and it was in a, uh, a carpenter-style house. And the room, it was white sofas and that were you know, covered and you know, kind of a white wood floor. And it was just a, kind of a serene, just nondescript kind of place. But this beautiful lady, Jackie Parker, was uh, a dear, dear, dear friend, um, would uh, have us breathe a bit and then write whatever we found. Nice. And then she would give us a prompt that she would create in a moment that would come to her and she would say, tell me the story of. And uh, uh, the first couple of times, of course, I was, I don't want everybody to know. I don't want you know, everybody to feel bad for me, you know? So yes, I just I wrote very superficially. But then a few other prompts, I just started to tell bits and pieces of my, my life or, or my story, and I would write and cry. Oh. She would just let me cry and pass the tissue and pass tissue around. And, mm-hmm. and um, so I, there was a seven-week class. And so I began there, and then I took a, another session with her. I couldn't wait to get to class. It was just a great release for me. Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I think that the next year, this was 2010, it's taken a while to get the whole process, I went to her about April, and I said, I think I have a book, because I had been doing these, what I call check-ins. I would started to send check-ins to my friends and close family. I had a circle that I would email. Excuse me, and you were mentioning those are the blog updates of what was going on? Uh, they weren't really blogs, they were emails. Oh, emails, they were okay. Emails. I All would right. call them check-ins. All right. And I would send them to just, because people want to know, how are you doing, how are the girls doing, what's going on? And uh-huh. I didn't want to regurgitate the story, so I would send out an email. This is what we're thinking, this is what I'm feeling, this is what, and last night was a sad night, but, you know, we're up today, and we're, mm-hmm. so I would send these out, and people would say, gosh, Nita, you should share this. This is so beautifully written, and you can help people. And I thought, oh, okay, <laughs> but I don't know how to do that. So I went to Jackie after just a lot of positive response that way and the things I would write in class. And she would say this one phrase that stayed with me, which I mentioned in the book. She said, Nita, your stories are too rich to keep. Oh, look at that. And I said, wow, that's, I'm so honored by what, but I don't, I have no idea what to do with that. Mm-hmm. So I went to her and I said, I, I think I have a book that I want to share because I think I can help other people that are going through loss. She said, you do. I said, but I don't know. How, she said, I'll help you. She said, you have to do a proposal first. Okay. And so we began. I began with a proposal, which I had to write. Um, I had to write the first three chapters, the conclu- and then I had to write all the other chapters because sort of write an idea of what they were going to be like, and then she helped me to synopsize them. Nice. And then write the conclusion, which I had already written in the class, but I kind of redid a little bit. And uh, we kind of find... She helped me like an editor, kind of fine-tune them. Oh, let's change this phrase. Let's change this sentence. But it had to be my words, you know. Sure. And she did the marketing analysis, like what, where my audience would be and that kind of thing. She did a six-page, 64 pages later. Whoa. We sent, out, we sent it out to 20 agents. All right. And I got an agent. 
uh, who called and said, uh, did you write this? She said, <laughs> yes, I did. She said, you're a writer. Well, excuse me, did it take you a while to find an agent? I was surprised. I sent it out. My marker for most things that have to do with this book has been August 26th because that's Donnie's birthday. Mm-hmm. And I sent it out after it was finished. The proposal was finished on that date. But we waited until after Labor Day. So I sent mm-hmm. it out in September um, after Labor Day. In November, I, uh, I talked with his agent and that's, signed with her right around. That's Thanks. pretty fast. It's, the whole process yeah. is pretty fast because apparently to write a proposal can take you up to a year. It took us four months. I, just, I, I don't have time. I don't want people to forget my boy. Yes. And I don't want to forget all these things that are so fresh in my heart and my spirit. I don't want to forget it. And it's really easy to recall it. But it, the, the process of the book for me was cathartic because I revisited the bedside oh. in those last nine days. And um, that's not the whole book, right. but because it is part of my grief journey, I mm-hmm. had to share what that was like, the thoughts, the feelings, the overwhelming emotion, the terrific sadness, the days of wanting, not wanting to get out of bed. But oh. also, I look back at how our lives the moment I found my voice, the moment he found his voice, what brought us both to L.A., how we ended up in that one little nightclub the same night, the first time I ever sang, he was there. All those moments, how we became a couple, what our life looked like, what Don was like Incredible. as a husband and a, a man in mm-hmm. the world. and uh, it's, it's our love story. It's beautiful. Uh, so that's how the book um, happened, and um, it uh, I... I worked really hard to write it and just focused all of my attention on that. Of course, you know, my children are always my priority. So around that, I wrote, and traveling and moving around with with gigs and things, because singing is also therapy and also a great release for me and and the the thing I love to do the most. That's Um, fantastic. And so um, that's how it happened. And we we weren't able to get a publishing deal initially, uh, and I'm still not... The jury's still out on that. So I didn't want to wait uh, to try to keep trying to get a publishing deal because that could take up all your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, there's, there's a whole longer wait if you get a publishing deal. And Why is that? What, what, what? I don't know. I was told that if, if I got a publishing deal, it will be another 18 months. Well, that's, wow. Yeah, and I'd already spent so much time, and it was, it was, it was urgent to me to sort of put this book into the world. So... Self-publishing has become such a beautiful outlet nowadays. It used to be, oh, you failed. You didn't get a publishing deal, so you're self-publishing. I didn't pursue it that hard. I, when I got, we got about 12 rejections. And even my neighbor, I have a neighbor who is a head writer on um, Revenge. Mm-hmm. He lives next door. He's my dear friend. He got 16 rejections on his fiction. And he's a well-known writer. And I thought, <laughs> okay. So, I, you know, and I, I remember, <laughs> not that my book can be compared with Harry Potter, but that's my daughter's favorite book. She got all those rejections. So rejection is a part of it. Exactly. So I just assumed, okay, I'm not going to wait for them to keep rejecting me, and I'm, I'm going to submit it now that I have a book. I'm going to try to get a deal. But in the meantime, I wanted to put this book into the world so people don't forget. No, I think it's great. Yeah. You know, it's no different than people that produce something for the web yes. because they can't get a big network to take notice, exactly. so they produce a little show on yeah. their own. Or an independent film or whatever it is. Yeah, and then people take notice if you make a little noise. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the route I'm going, and I have no doubt we'll get a publishing deal, but it'll be more on my terms. I'll have a little bit of leverage it's good. when that happens. But I think um, I put a lot of heart and soul into writing up the book, and uh, every word, you know, it's very important to me that 
I would say this to my children when they were, you know, learning how to express their anger. Make make your words beautiful. Nice. You know, you may, you can be any horn in this trumpet of in this symphony of life. Make yours a beautiful sound. So when I wrote my book, I wanted to write with that sense of beauty and reverence for this great love that Donna and I shared and the great loss that, that we've experienced, uh, not just me and the kids, but people that knew him and the industry as a whole lost a great voice, and we miss him in the world. Someone wrote an editorial article in the L.A. Times oh, about six months, and it's called Hollywood's Missing Voice. It talked about how people perhaps aren't going to the movies as much because they miss that voice that used to draw them in, the voice of Don LaFontaine. Sure. And uh, it was just fantastic that I said, oh, because I would go to the movie and thinking, oh, it's, it's not the same. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I so, um, I missed his voice. We went to, well, I took the kids on an emotional vacation, which you talk about in the book, mm-hmm. April after he died. And we went to a movie. And as the lights came down, the trailers came up, I just started bawling. And oh. I was doing it quietly because I didn't want to take the joy away from my kids. Right. Um, and there was, Don's voice wasn't there. And I, I, it made me miss him so much. Oh. I just wept in the dark in that movie. I just wept. And luckily the movie was one, a real silly movie, so I ended up laughing oh, a lot. Oh, good. Oh, good. And so it pulled me out of it. But I, I really was so sad at the beginning because, you know, there was no comparison, nor will there ever be. There are people that sort of can mimic his sound, but they don't have his diction. They don't. Don was given as an example... <laughs> This was another amazing thing of the legacy that my children have um, of their dad. They're, they're so proud of. My daughter attends CalArts. Mm-hmm. And one of the leading speech teachers teaches there. And the children were introducing themselves in the classroom. And my daughter said, hi, I'm Sky LaFontaine. She said, in relation to Don, Sky goes, that's my dad. She starts crying. The, oh, teacher starts the crying. teacher's crying. The teacher starts crying. And then Sky starts crying. They go outside and they have a little cry fest. And she <laughs> just goes on and says, what an amazing instrument. What a voice, what diction. Yes. He is an example that I use. And then it happened again. My, my older daughter, Lisi, my youngest daughter, just was at Berkeley taking a uh, vocal classes, and um, one of the teachers asked her her name. She said, Lisi LaFontaine. He says, is, are you relation to Don? She says, my dad. She stops the class and tells everybody about her dad. I mean, Lisi said, Mom, I just started crying. Oh. So it comes up for them like that, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting emotions of saying it because it's, you know, you want your children to have something. Right. Hang on. That's okay. Listen, I appreciate you being this candid and sharing all this with me. Oh, you well, know. it's just, you know, I don't know how not to be honest and tell yeah. everything. <laughs> that's sort of my, I, that's who I am. I, I'm not a superficial person. I just, yeah. I'm, I live in truth. Always. It's wonderful. But I'm just so pleased that they have such a beautiful legacy mm-hmm. that to stand on in, in their dad's honor. It's, it's pretty, um, pretty amazing. You're a, you're a very strong woman. Because the theme of the show is Get the Funk Out, would you say that was one of the best things you did was throwing yourself into your writing and finding yourself? And Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was the best thing I could have done. And it, was, it became his become my newest favorite thing. I think I found a new voice for myself mm. through writing. I didn't know that I would. I, I, I'm going to write another book. I mean, I have really? another two books in my head that I'm going to write. Um, right. And I, I, I think that it is, for me, 
a way of speaking that I, I, my children say I sound like a Disney mom. They tease me all the time mm-hmm. when, I, <laughs> when I'm trying to teach them lessons. And my daughter will turn on some music or she'll go get the violin, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty silly. And I'm like, guys, this is not a Disney moment. This is real. And they're like, Mom, why do you talk like that? So oh, I guess I do kind of <laughs> 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 um, talk like that. But when I find when I write, things come out in a way that I don't normally speak. But it comes, it's like I'm a portal. Yes. When it comes through the pen, right? Um, and there's a. I was in a wonderful play that was a big part of, of uh, my children's young lives, Ragtime. Oh, wow. um, and um, I got to play the role of Sarah many, many times, which was one of the leads. Beautiful. <clears throat> and in it, uh, there's a song called "Make Them Hear You." It says, "Your sword can be a sermon, or the power of the pen." Mm. And it's it's I a like that. Yeah, it's in this song you're singing about justice, but I love that that line that uh, Lynn uh, Lynn Aaron's and Steve Flaherty wrote. Your sword can be a sermon, or the power of the pen. I just thought that was a great line. That's a beautiful line. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Any advice you give to people who are in a funk that can't seem to pull themselves out? Do something for someone else. Oh. That is the best thing for me. That when I started to write, I not only started to that, but I started to I create a prayer group online because I knew I wasn't the only one that lost their husband or lost their spouse and that I wasn't the only one in need of prayer or someone to sort of send up a good word or vibe for them. And so I've started, and it, it continues, I started a prayer group, and every couple of months or so I'll list people, but I also make it a praise report. Oh, so-and-so's child got into this university, and so-and-so got this film, and Oh. And, you know, just, uh, I call it a praise and prayer report. Oh, that's great. And we share. And then people say, can you ask, can you put this person in their work? And collectively, well, so doing something for someone else mm-hmm. is the best thing you can do for yourself when you're in a funk. Get up, my daddy would say in my book. He says, keep getting up. Don't stay in bed. Keep getting up. That's a Green Whitakerism. That's my dad. <laughs> keep getting up. And secondly, do something for someone else. That will pull you out of your hole more than anything else you can do. Because sitting around ruminating in your funk is not going to get you out of it. You're just going to sit deeper in it, dig so, yourself a well. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Do you want to talk a little bit before we wrap up about the Don LaFontaine voiceover lab, how that came about? I'd love to. Okay. Um, one of my husband's dear friends, he had two best friends, Steve Suskind, who is a brilliant actor, and also um, he did voiceovers as well. Didn't much do a lot of promos for more commercials. Oh, fantastic man, my daughter's godfather. Mm. Um, died in a car accident about six years ago. It's a freak accident. <sighs> just about killed Don. It just broke his heart. And then Paul Pape is his second friend, who he's known for 30-something years. He met, Paul was in Saturday Night Fever with John Travolta. Oh. So Paul and Don, they had a poker group. There were seven of them for 15 years. They played poker here every once a month. And sometimes it, it, they move it around to other people's homes, and it was great. Nice. But they were great friends. Paul had this idea, and he went to Screen Actors Guild with it, and they said yes. So we had to raise a certain amount of money, and so we created an advisory board, mostly composed of uh, other voiceover people who had somehow touched Don's lives. And uh, everybody gave us some money to kind of fund part of it, and they started to excavate and build, and then Screen Actors Guild matched it, and we did a couple of fundraisers to even raise more money. And Don, Don liked to doodle. Um, he liked to draw, sketch, funny character faces. Really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and so I have, 
I have this stack of copies. I'm 5'10". Mm-hmm. That's almost as tall as me. And, and he was waiting on sessions. He would doodle. Wait a minute, back up. You have a stack of his doodles that are about 5'10"? I have a stack of copies from work oh that gosh. he's done. Yes. He would keep the, work, the year's work. And so right now I, I have that stack put oh. away, but I have a stack that he had in the, in the booth mm-hmm. that would, went up until his last day of work for oh. the year of 2008. And in that he had all these doodles. And he would just draw these really funny faces. <laughs> and so we take some of those and we auction them at, the, at these events, at the poker games that we have now. Because Don loves poker, as you, know, as you just heard me say. Yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so we used some of those things to raise money. I had a pair of um, his cowboy boots because he loved, he had that Western thing that he liked. Mm-hmm. And um, they start to charge a certain admission and they raise, we raised some money. So... That's how we began uh, the advisory board. Uh, a lot of Don's uh, colleagues are a part of. I'm on the advisory board as well as his last agent, Vanessa. And we came with this idea of uh, this place where people could go. And then we, when the word got out and we had all these companies donate mics and, and their time, and it wanted to be a place where people can work on that craft of voiceover at no cost if they're part of the union. Sure. <clears throat> and... It, you know, they ask, like, Don's favorite color is blue, so you see that thing running along the wall, and too much is given, much is required. I have so many other things that I wanted to add on the inside, like in just little really faint gray, little sayings of Don's around mm-hmm. the room that will be coming soon, but for now, just to get it up and have it functional. It's just such a beautiful space, so reflective of, A, the work he did. It didn't need to be a huge place, just... It's it's a group booth and a and a and a, and a single booth and and right. the, the facilities are top notch. They are. And they are. Don loved to teach. He mentored so many people. He would you know he was happy to show you how he worked and and what he did and he would t- give you little tidbits along the way. He always encouraged anyone that he mentored. You have to read. You have to read. Read poetry aloud. You mm-hmm. have to read. You have to learn the written word because that was one of his gifts because he had such great command. I never had to look up a word. Don, what's this word? <laughs> he knew it. <laughs> I need a word that rhymes. <laughs> he had five. Whew. He was a walking encyclopedia. Yes. Uh, he called it Useless Information Central. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. He had gosh. such a treasure trove up there. I mean, he just was so knowledgeable about <laughs> so many things. It was so hysterical. humble. Ugh. Yeah, but never boasted about it. He just yeah. had it. Yeah, that's hysterical. Yeah, Um and it's a beautiful facility, and we're so thrilled. We're so thrilled that it's there. And this year's, um, the Promax DBA gives out, Promax is this conglomerate that honors <coughs> advertising work. I'm sorry, I'm having morning phlegm. Please That's forgive. okay. That's okay. And they created another friend of ours planted a seed with their president about giving a Don LaFontaine Legacy Award to someone who works in voiceover, who mentors, gives back to their community, <coughs> Um, who has a body of work. Um, we had seven criteria. Anyway, this year's recipient was Nancy Cartwright. Oh, nice. And uh, last year... The Simpsons, had, by the way, if people don't know who that is. Nancy Cartwright is the voice of Bart Simpson. Yes. And has been for more than 20-plus years. And the interesting thing is, our children went to school together when they were four and five. Nancy oh, and Jack went funny. to school with Skye. So we had actually met her before Bart became huge. Mm-hmm. So we had a we had a connection, and she's a lovely, and I love that a that she was a woman because my husband would, would champion women in voiceover, which I which one of the reasons he wanted Melissa to ride with him. 
That's great. Because it's a male-dominated business, as you know. Yes. Uh, so I was thrilled for her, and that the legacy continues. I said to her, thank you for carrying the torch. Mm. Um, and I meant that. That's wonderful. You know, I just want to tell you briefly, I mentioned uh, a little bit, but I feel it's a privilege to be able to go into the Don LaFontaine voiceover lab at SAG, because I am a member, and you go in there, and it's, it is magical. I mean, you see this equipment, and then you're learning all about it, and it, it's a privilege. It's, yes, it feels, yes, and we are so know, honored that it's there. It carries his name, and that hopefully it will serve the community in which he in which he worked. Yes, and I think that's a great tribute. Again, something that continues his legacy, and then on the back of that, in a world with books, that would piggyback on that to expand the generosity and love. It's all love. It's really it's right. all love. And Don was really that was that was who, what he was about. That's wonderful. Putting love into the world, doing good. He was so kind, generous. There was no one that he wouldn't help. He didn't have to know you. If he heard there was a need, he would get on his white horse. That was done. Mm. He was the, I, I just, he was my father, and he had this amazing relationship. They were son and father. It wasn't, this is my, this is a death, my son. He referred to him as son. That's beautiful. And he said, I've just never met anyone like him. Mm. And my father's 86 years old, and he's seen a lot. Yeah. Oh. Nita, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And it really, has been my honor and my pleasure to talk about my boy. Uh, and just sharing candidly and openly. And If people want more information about you and your book, where can they go? My website, uh, nitawhitaker.com, okay. um, N-I-T-A-W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R, or on Facebook, um, facebook.com, Nita Whitaker LaFontaine. Um, there's information and news feed. Uh, on it, and those, and, and then of course I have a Twitter account. It's at Nita Whitakers with an S. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, Nita, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you. All it's right. been my honor. Okay, be well. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm going to leave you with one last song from Nita, and then up next, Cure for the Blues with Sheldon Abbott. He's ready to uh, take the reins here. This is Nita Whitaker LaFontaine with Heaven Holds the One I Love. Have a wonderful Monday, everybody. I'm still a part of you